Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy and international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of The Global Podcast, we're excited to introduce to you all our new guest series called Hot Talks, where we invite key leaders and experts from time to time to share with us their insights on key themes. And on today's Hot Talks, we're talking about climate and Brazil with Chiara Soletti. Chiara is a women's rights and climate coordinator for the Italian Climate Network, an Italian nonprofit organization committed to raising awareness on climate change. She has also contributed to the Women and Gender Constituency, or WGC, work at the United Nations Framework Change on Climate Change Conferences of the Parties, where she advocated for the introduction of a gender perspective in the Paris Agreement implementation. All right, and now enough of me yapping, and let's get hot talking. This is Hot Talks with Chiara Soletti. Ciao, Chiara. Hi, ciao, Antonio. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to have you. I've been wanting to have you for a while now, particularly to talk about climate change and really highlight the opportunities that there can be um, for businesses and NGOs in regards to really tackling key issues where it's affecting both human rights and sustainable development uh, and so on. So, I mean, on this episode, um, we're going to be discussing climate change, particularly around Brazil, and many of our listeners will be very familiar with episode 20, where we talked about Brazil under uh, new President Bolsonaro and whether or not there's going to be political will for climate change and sustainable development overall. Now, when we discussed it at that time frame, it seemed the outlook was pretty mixed. There was a possibility for sustainable development advancing where businesses and NGOs could play a role. Yet we also had some commentary where it didn't seem quite likely. Yet it seems that since we aired this episode, there has been some changes that are really threatening sustainable development in Brazil. So Chiara, could you tell us uh, what's going on right now in Brazil? Well, recently there have been uh, um, some protests from uh, uh, indigenous people organization, of course, from Brazil. Um, more or less uh, 4,000 people from 200 communities. They protested basically against the, the violence towards indigenous people in uh, uh, Brasilia. And uh, of course, so what they were asking? They were asking basically for um, the, uh, to recognize uh, uh, indigenous territories and to protect them. And 
Why this is happening? The reason is that unfortunately Bolsonaro is uh, taking a completely different direction um, compared to uh, what happened in the last 20 years in Brazil. In the last 20 years, there were definitely major progress uh, uh, when it comes to uh, tackling this deforestation and uh, um, and protecting the environment. But uh, Bolsonaro, a little bit like Trump, they tend to uh, deny climate change and uh, they justify the environment exploitment uh, because of their view of what it means um, economic growth. And for them, economic growth is the creation of uh, um, new jobs that uh, are going to be based uh, on the, the dependency from fossil fuels. In order to do that, Bolsonaro He's uh, um, he put in place an incredible political campaign uh, based on basically deforestation and violation of uh, uh, indigenous people rights. This is more or less um, in a nutshell. <laughs> well, it's very, very so, grim in that sense. Absolutely. Um, uh, one example of uh, the negative effects of uh, Bolsonaro politics is, for example, the uh, tragic uh, impact of the Brumadinho containment dam. Uh, this dam was created to contain water in order to uh, facilitate uh, uh, minerals extraction. And uh, this dam basically caused the death, uh, the death of uh, almost 400 indigenous people. And uh, we still uh, have to hear what is the extension of the environmental uh, uh, impact, but it seems that has been excruciating so far. And this is happening only three years after the disaster of the uh, Mariana Dam that is, uh, had an incredible impact on indigenous population. We saw those populations uh, uh, that were um, denied, uh, sent away from their territories, that denied access to water resources uh, for their uh, survival. And um, we don't know exactly how many of them died. So this is really um, a tragedy in a way. They, these are really people that are not protected. Uh, and, and it's really funny in a way because Brazil has uh, uh, laws to protect indigenous people. Indigenous, uh, indigenous people's rights are recognized and nevertheless is one of the countries where these rights are violated the most. So if you are an indigenous person uh, fighting for your rights of having a land and living in a sustainable way, if you think about it, in contact with nature, just accessing to the resources you need, having a minimal impact on the environment with basically zero emissions, you want the right and it's taken away from you and you are risky, uh, at risk of being killed constantly. You're really treated like a citizen of um, second category, basically. It's, uh, it's quite appalling in a way. It's appalling and it's tragic because we know we, we, we put Brazil with the understanding of you know the Amazon and the fact that it has such a rich um, culture in regards to its indigenous population. But for our listeners who are not aware and are not uh, really understanding of, of what the environmental risks 
uh, are when it comes to a, a dam burst. Could you could you specify what the implications are when a dam breaks, what this means for the environment and what this could mean for that population? The consequences of uh, dams are not only... Um related to when they burst but they're related also just with their when they're built basically so imagine that to build a dam and to free an area uh, for mineral extraction and then deforestated uh, um, you are basically taking a river the water from a river so out of a sudden all the territories that used to have water from that point from the point in which the dam is uh, is built um, they don't receive the water that they used to so there is an impact down there for example and on the site of the dam for example uh, what it happens is that um, you have to build this dam so how you're going to do that you have to build infrastructures to get there roads and uh, you have to transport materials and in order to do that you need to deforestate you have to build uh, uh, smaller villages and sites for the workers and uh, and the first impact of all is that these places are built on indigenous people territories so these people are stripped of their rights. They are just sent in other, uh, in other territories. They have less and less uh, territories at their disposal to survive. And uh, sometimes when they move, out of a sudden, they don't have access to water anymore. They don't have access to the resources that were so important for their survival, not the same kind of food and not the same kind of environment. And that impact their culture, their health, their survival, basically. So there are, we can definitely say that there are different impacts. Uh, so there is an environmental impact. There is uh, uh, definitely um, um, a certain amount of emissions that there is, uh, and there is a human rights impact. So it's, it's difficult to see it only from one angle. And then, of course, there is, uh, you know, the the additional impacts of when there is an incident, when the dam burst. In that case, the devastation on the environment and the loss of human of human lives, it's isn't a you cannot calculate it basically, and it's yeah, it, it turns out to be a tragedy most of the times because often these dams are built really fast and not in an appropriate way. So not only they're damaging the environment, but they are also dangerous. So the best thing would be just to not build them in the first place, from my point of view, at least. Well, in that case, I mean, we're talking about how it's in impacting Brazil and the indigenous populations, and clearly the the treatment of of the many indigenous communities as second class citizens, as you've indicated, you know, by by the stripping of their land and so on and so forth, um, is 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 becoming a, a huge issue given that the fact they are protected by Brazilian law. But let's take a look at this on a global aspect, just so that our listeners can understand what could be the potential backlash that maltreatment uh, of the Amazon and, and, and what is occurring could have on the globe? What could be the backlash? The consequences of uh, um, deforestation, uh, especially when it comes to the Amazon, that is considered the green uh, lung of, the, of Earth, basically one of the green lungs of Earth, uh, are, are several. 
First of all, we need to consider, you know, uh, how forests absorb uh, uh, carbon dioxide and how actually protect uh, uh, the earth from absorbing uh, too much heat. Um, in addition, of course, uh, deforestating tends to create a desertification. So when you deforestate, it's not only that you're cleaning an area to have, you know, to exploit what there is in the earth, but you're also at risk of making that earth absolutely unfertile, so not at disposal for future generations, for example. Another consequence is the loss of biodiversity that we always underestimated, but it's, there, is, there has been a recent uh, study that alerted how Basically, humans are putting at risk more than uh, one million species. We cannot ignore this because the biodiversity, and especially especially in in forest, is what keeps our planet alive. We take we tend to uh, take these things for granted, but it's like when you know it was needed to explain to the public why we we, we had to be worried about bees dying. Without bees dying, we are going to have a major problem. We could not have food because there are the um, these insects. Insects basically are at the base of pollination. That what what makes possible for plants to reproduce and produce the majority of the food that we consume on this planet. I don't know what we are going to do, and this needed to be explained to the public and to politicians because we lost definitely touch with our reality and the way in which the world the natural world works and sustain our lives that's why it's so it is really distressing to see how still politics is not putting the environment and climate change at the center of everything how we are going to do without the environment, the place where we live, the water, the, the air that we breathe. I mean, what it means to keep uh, having economic growth, how is a thought in a capitalistic way that is exponential and potentially never ending. How can you think about that in a world that, is with, that has limits, with limited resources, and where, you know, there is limited air, there is limited water, and there are limit, uh, limited land and forest. And we're just keeping going business as usual. And the politics is really not putting this at the center of their action. And this is tragic. Absolutely. It's, it's a tragedy. We need to start calling things with their name. This is an emergency. And is tragic that our politicians and decision makers they are not being active enough on this front and not to save the earth but, you know every time you hear someone say just save the earth we're not saving the earth so the planet is going to be fine with us the planet has been exist existed for billions of years without us Life is going probably to uh, have new forms and so on. But let's be honest, we are just trying to save ourselves, you know, our place on this planet that we take for granted when actually it's a privilege.
Precisely. And I like how you've highlighted the fact that there seems to be a lack of political will um, globally when it comes to the issue of climate change. And again, on episode 20, we really highlighted that whether or not there was political will in Brazil. And it seems to be uh, almost like a Swiss cheese. There was too many holes in it. And, and at some points, there were just none at all. And that being said, I want to take the angle and ask a question in regards to what maybe businesses and NGOs can do, where businesses have the potential to bring businesses, particularly that have a social minded vision that can bring themselves to Brazil, perhaps providing a service or a level of business which can help uh uh, reduce the impact of climate change locally or or really make reparations where needed or where NGOs can can come in and work accordingly. Um, could you let me know maybe uh, from what you see, what is the role that they can have to counteract this backlash that is currently happening? This is actually a really interesting point, you know, the connection between, um, you know, what uh, NGOs, businesses, and also the politics, what they can do all together to tackle this this problem. Um, I would like to digress and give an example of about something that recently happened here in the UK where I'm based. Uh, um, there was recently, uh, you know, uh, a statement about the, um, the UK government about the fact that we are in a climate crisis. It was declared a climate crisis. It was just a declaration but it was a strong signal. Like why this happened? It happened after weeks of civil society protests, and in particular of the group Extinction Rebellion. And it is a declaration, but it's still a good point because now we have the leverage to say, okay, so why the government is still uh, is still keeping planning and businesses are still keeping working just business as usual? Using fossil fuels, uh, working, keeping thinking in a um, in a system that is, uh, you know, with endless resources. We already have, you know, um, awareness that is not possible to continue in that way. So, why you declare a climate crisis and then you don't do something in concentration with the government and civil society to try and solve the problem? And the point is that. There's, uh, for example, in civil society organizations, sometimes uh, there is definitely a defensiveness around having businesses involved. So because let's be honest, and most businesses haven't been really social conscious and social conscious or environmental conscious has been used, you know, in, in a way to, let's say, build an image, you know, what is called, uh, for example, social greenwashing. So there is definitely a defensiveness but we have also to face the fact that everyone has to be involved because our businesses that at the end of the day use uh, fossil fuels to produce the goods that we need to leave uh, and uh, at the same time is the government using uh, fossil fuels to run the services we we need to leave uh, we need to leave and civil society can also play um, a role too in all this you know saying to businesses and governments where what is needed, uh, you know, from the, in in society, in cities, and uh, or in in a nation more more widely. So, I'm I'm giving this example just uh, um, and this overview just to to give an idea of actually how important it is have is to have a, a consultation of uh, interest and actions among these different stakeholders. So, um, what is possible um, to do? is definitely 
speak to one another, trying to uh, ch- uh, to see what are the possibilities in the government. I have to say uh, that, unfortunately, regarding Brazil, um, uh, there is not really, with Bolsonaro at the moment, um, a lot of uh, room for discussions regarding these topics. But businesses can collaborate with civil society. They can uh, collaborate with grassroots organizations and see what is needed from them and what the government is lacking to give in them, how their business can actually help to not destroy the communities, but maybe create the green jobs in the communities, see what are the environmental problems in the country and do you want to develop a product? What about the developing a product that, that is not going directly to landfill, but is going to, that is going to be something that is produced in a sustainable way and that has an actual use in everyday life? Because let's be honest, you know, in the current economic system, we produce a lot of unnecessary stuff that we don't really need. Um, this is just, of course, um, a general idea, uh, but it's it's really important and it's really important to work towards this solution. There is, for example, here in the UK, an organization. Um, called the Climate Kick, that is, for example, um, in, it works in collaboration with the European Union, and uh, their goal is basically to help businesses to do a transition and to find the systemic solutions uh, to, uh, towards climate change issues, the businesses. And it's the European Union pushing for this. So. There is definitely a direction, uh, uh, I would say, in this sense in the world. And I do believe that in this moment um, in Brazil, the best uh, um, the best strategy would be to see what is possible to do on the ground, what, to see what people need and start from there. Fortunately, I would say probably replacing the government, uh, the, you know, what, uh, the, taking, taking the space that the government is leaving empty. And sometimes that needs to be happened where the government, let's say, for doesn't either have the will or is simply not addressing the concern. That is definitely where the businesses and NGOs can insert themselves with. Of course, as we try to promote via by the global podcast, given the work of Pax Tecum Global via diplomatic means or using as we call diplomacy and international development to make that sustainable and work because sometimes a government, if they feel threatened, they can kick them out quicker than you say, oh no, what just happened? Um, but that's definitely an avenue and, and it's really good that you brought that up and hopefully that provides really good food for thought in that sense on, on how, in this case, uh, they can become agents of change to make a difference in Brazil given they do their due diligence, of course. I absolutely agree with you and... Uh, um on this topic, I would like also to mention that uh, in September, this September in New York, uh, we're going to have uh, um, um, the Climate Action Summit. It's going to be an, an high-level event organized by the UN Secretary General, General Antonio Guterres. Um, 
it's it's quite funny in a way because uh, where this is going to be a really particular summit. The goal uh, is basically uh, to bring to ca- together decision makers and businesses to be to boost ambition and accelerate actions to implement the Paris Agreement. So basically, what uh, uh, Secretary uh, uh, Secretary General Guterres uh, wants to uh, achieve. Uh, is definitely to drive the attention of these major stakeholders on key issues that need to be urgently addressed to keep global warming under 1.5 degrees and guarantee a future for humanity on this uh, on this earth, basically. So, but differently from other times, he's going to have a really pragmatic approach because what happens in this uh, international fora is that sometimes there is like, you know, a red carpet in which uh, really important people uh, go there and they, they, you know, make lovely, I mean, lovely declaration of intentions, lovely words, but at the end of the day, there is not enough um, actions in, uh, in, in, in their intentions. So it's not going... The, apparently, this time is the goal is not going to, is to not have a showcase of just good intentions, but Guterres wants to have a really pragmatic approach for the summit, an occasion to get a real shared action plan to tackle climate change and implement the Paris Agreement. And it's for this reason that it's not organizing just a general debate, but it's going to organize a six tables of work where representatives of every countries and major stakeholders and businesses are going to gather together and work on six major topics like general energy transition, industrial transition, adaptation, resilience, uh, local actions and cities and nature-based solutions. And I'm mentioning this summit that is uh, because, funny enough, is happening just a couple of months before the the COP, the con um, the conference of the parties of the United Nations Frameworks Convention on Climate Change. So the reason why we are having two major uh, diplomacy summits so close to each other is because, unfortunately, the COPs are uh, once again in their history at, uh, um, they, are, they are facing an, an impasse. So what happened during the last COP in Katowice is that uh, once again, the delegates, they didn't manage to get uh, a shared agreement on technical issues like market mechanism, transparency, and of course, climate finance. These are just a few to mention. So what is happening is that there is still a lot of negotiations around the theoretical issues, but not enough actions. And then the works are not um, proceeding, uh, proceeding at enough speed. That's why we Basically, this, clam- uh, this uh, uh, um, Climate Action Summit is going to be the occasion to bring in another fora these uh, topics, involve even more the businesses and uh, push ambition towards the COP that we are going to have in 2020. 
that is going to be a really important one because theoretically it should be the COP in which all the countries will bring new commitments, new actions to reduce their emissions and raise their ambition uh, towards uh, the Paris Agreement implementation. So, as you can see, the synergy between policymakers, decision makers at the government level, businesses and civil society, it's paramount. And it's we cannot deny this synergy and we, we have to face it and make it work in one way or another because we have just a decade to tackle seriously this problem if we want to have a future. Well, let's hope that there really is that this episode and many other call of actions that are being done by the United Nations and through many stakeholders around the world are really heated, particularly not just what's going on in Brazil, but globally, because as you've indicated early on in the episode, this is truly a state of an emergency. And it's it's really to ensure the survival, uh, not just of our species, but just in general, of the, of the general state of the planet. But Chiara, thank you so much for shedding light on this. We look forward to having you on future hot talks and for those interested more in what is going on in brazil regarding political will for sustainable development under bolsonaro we do suggest you listen to episode 20 where we spoke with members of uh, the brazilian congress uh, academics from sao paulo and of course the united nations to discuss precisely what the political environment looks like and where businesses and ngos can fit in Chiara, thank you so much for being on the Global Podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I look forward to be back. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tech and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechandglobal.org. That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L.org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next week for another edition. And until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!